Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. As we get closer to Election Day and the political rhetoric gets more intense, we've learned that at least seven bombs have been mailed to prominent Democrats. We discuss the political climate, a shooting in our home state, and talk with Erica McAdoo, candidate for the North Carolina legislature. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsy Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Everyone and welcome to another episode of Fancy Politics. We're so glad you're here and grateful for all of your support around our book. So many of you have let us know that you've pre-ordered copies of I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening, A Grace-Filled Guide to Political Conversations. It warms our hearts every time you do. So thank you for that. Today, we're going to talk about the really difficult news that has been surfacing this week. And then we're going to end the week on an inspirational note as we talk with Erica McAdoo, who is running for the legislature in North Carolina. I think you will love that conversation. So hang in through the hard stuff and we will get to something beautiful and hopeful at the end. On Wednesday, news began to break that there were multiple pipe bombs sent to the homes of prominent Democrats. Apparently, the bomb that went to billionaire 
and liberal fundraiser George Soros had happened earlier in the week, but then there became uh, it became increasingly likely that this was not an isolated incident because we found out that there were pipe bombs sent to Hillary Clinton's home, former President Barack Obama's home. There was one sent to former CIA Director John Brennan to CNN's office, even though he works at MSNBC. Two were sent to California Democrat Representative Maxine Waters. They were sent with the return address of Debbie Wasserman Schultz. And so some were returned to her office in Florida because they were originally addressed from them, including one that was um, sent to former U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder. We have recently learned that one was sent to New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, Vice President Joe Biden, and Robert De Niro's New York restaurant. Most of these packages were mailed. It has been reported that at least the package to George Soros was hand-delivered to his home. Notably, Debbie Wasserman Schultz on all the return address labels was spelled incorrectly. According to the FBI, this is a developing situation. So we are recording Thursday morning. This could be significantly different by the time the podcast releases on Friday. But it's important enough that we wanted to go ahead and take that risk and talk about our reactions to it. I have been feeling like I'm in a surreal kind of space with this, Sarah. It just, it almost sounds like something that would happen in a comic book version of reality and recognizing that this is very real and that the lives of so many people were put in danger. All of the Secret Service workers who screened this mail for former presidents, all of the postal workers, I mean, just think about the level of risk, not to mention people who were targeted in such a violent, gruesome way here. It's it's just hard for me to wrap my mind around the seriousness of this. Well, and I was reading that the Congressional Sergeant of Arms was like warning members of Congress, you need to be very careful in scanning and screening your own personal mail at your homes. Because that's what's important to remember. Like these were sent to offices that you know, after, I believe it was after September 11th, they moved the screening of congressional mail off-site. And so that was all caught in the screening process that the, all, most of these people's mail goes through. But there's no security screening of their private mail to their private homes where their children are. Can you imagine what it's like to be a member of Congress, particularly a Democrat member of Congress, I would say at this point, and say, like, think like, oh, gosh, I have to be really careful at the mail coming to my home where my children are because I don't have any secret service or the FBI screening that mail. That's all on me. My mind also went to people running for office who mm-hmm. don't have any kind of protection yet. And what if they draw the ire of the wrong person and and this happens to them? It's just – this is a horrible thing. And I want to make sure that I'm able to pause in this is a horrible thing before getting into the politics of it. Mm-hmm. And I hate that about social media, that it doesn't give us that space for the pause. Not that the politics are unimportant. But I don't want to stop being horrified. This is horrifying. So not surprisingly, the conversation immediately turned to the president and his current and continuing rhetoric about his opponents. And I don't know if I'm comfortable describing that as the politics of the moment. Is that weird? Like, I don't know if that's just... I mean, I guess it's political in a way, but to me, you know, I got in a really long text exchange with my father who did the, well, you know, what about liberals who yell at Mitch McConnell in a restaurant or people on Twitter or all? What about Kathy Griffin? 
And I guess the whataboutisms with regards to incivility on both sides is politics. But discussing our president, to me, and the way he speaks about people is not necessarily political. I think we have to find a way not to include him in this conversation as if he's just another data point when we're discussing incivility, because he's not just another citizen. He's not yelling at people in public restaurants. He's the president of the United States advocating violence, praising members of Congress for body slamming reporters, telling people to take the Second Amendment people to, quote unquote, take care of things. And he doesn't get a pass because other people act badly. He's the president. I mean, it finally ended with me telling my dad, like, he's the president and he's mean. And I don't know any other way to say it. You know, before Beth and I started recording, I said, you know, there's no modern American president who spoke like this. Richard Nixon at least had the good grace to do it behind closed doors. But this president goes to rallies and riles people up and just leans in. I was pleasantly surprised that he did seem to, he still went to a rally, but at least at the rally, reading from a teleprompter, he did, you know, say this was an attack on our democracy and violence is never the answer. And I appreciate that. I do. Because I didn't expect it, honestly. I thought, "Mm, what's to stop him from just continuing to do what he usually does. But, like, how long is that going to last? How long is he going to read from a teleprompter at these rallies before he goes back into what he said? And even at that rally, he said, are you notice how nice I'm being? It's different than how it usually is. Notice how nice I'm being? How well-behaved we're being? Because he he prides himself on being ill-behaved and being mean. And I think it's easy when he started, especially in a campaign season, to blow it off as politics and blow it off as a campaign tactic. But we can't do that anymore because he's not a candidate. He's the president. He represents everyone. He is John Brennan's president. He is Hillary Clinton's president. He is every person who works at CNN's president. And I don't know when he's going to start acting like it. He's already tweeted this morning that much of the anger in the country comes from the fake news media. So it didn't last long at all. And he did, even in his prepared remarks, blame the media more than himself. He never takes responsibility for anything. And this has happened his whole career, right? I've been listening to one of the ProPublica investigations about his real estate deals. And they made the very good point very succinctly that his entire career has been built on this concept that in the law is called mere puffery. That you don't have to tell the absolute truth when you're advertising. You can say, these are the best mittens ever made, or these are the best condominiums, or this is the best property in the whole world. And that doesn't have to be accurate because it's puffery. And that's what he's done his entire career. And his entire career, he has done exactly what he has said he'll do about the midterms. If it goes well, he'll take the credit. If it goes poorly, it's not his fault. And I think he's doing exactly the same thing in this situation. Here are a bunch of things that are true for me at the same time. Thing number one, I abhor the way the president talks about his political opponents. I abhor the way the president talks about the media. I think it's dangerous. I think it's irresponsible. I think it's already had some dire consequences. It would not surprise me if this is another consequence of that, and I hate it. Thing number two, I don't know what happened here yet. And I am not going to assume that it was an American citizen wearing a red hat. I understand that that is a distinct possibility, and it may be the most likely possibility. But in an era when we are 
sharply aware of foreign governments' interests in sowing chaos and distrust around our elections, I do not want to assume right out of the bat, right out of the gate, that this was an American citizen. I don't want to assume that it was an American citizen in a red hat. I also do not want to assume that this was an American citizen who is trying to stir up sympathy for the liberals. And I think it's grotesque that conservative commentators on social media instantly decided that that's what was going on here. So I'm frustrated. And I'm not saying that any of these things are equal. I'm just saying that they are all true for me at the same time. I think the difference for me is you're right. We don't know who's responsible for these acts. But the pain and frustration on the left is his responsibility. The fact that they that people are comfortable immediately assuming that This was someone, and not illogically. It is not illogical to assume, considering his rhetoric, that someone would respond. And to me, it's like, you have to take, no matter what we find out about this situation, the feelings people have about it, the fact that both sides, like one side is perfectly logical and comfortable assuming that this is what happened and they have so much pain and frustration about feeling like their president is out to get them. And the other side is so comfortable being combative and pushing back and no acknowledgement of how scary this is or how horrific this is. Like, I just feel like the heightened emotions on both sides. At some point when you're president, instead of just saying like, and just instead of marching the talking points of this is attack on our democracy, take responsibility for the current state of our rhetoric. I know he won't, but I sure wish he would. You are the president. I don't know how any other way to say this. You are the president. (laughs) I don't know who else is ultimately in charge of the state of our political rhetoric if it's not you, or at least doesn't take responsibility for the ways in which you have the power to contribute to it almost more than anybody else. It's just so frustrating. I 100% agree with that, because even if this were a foreign actor, this list is taken from a Trump rally. I mean, this Mm -hmm. is his list, right? There are people with much more influence over our government than the people on this list. I mean, Maxine Waters, come on. That's exactly what I was going to say. She is important, but... But come on, you know, the the only thing that is odd to me here is that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer have not been included. And and who knows if they have or haven't right at this point, but it hasn't been reported yet. And the other odd detail to me is Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who has been absent from the national scene lately, right? This is a very Mm -hmm. recent – Eric Holder, for example, that's a very recent story that someone is reacting to. So whether this was an American citizen who is an ally of the president or a fan of the president or a misguided person taking his cues from a a misguided president who speaks this way about people um, or a foreign actor – I think that there is absolutely responsibility in the president and in all of the people who cheer him on and not just Mm -hmm. cheer him on, but actively encourage him. And this might be a good transition point because another story we wanted to talk about today is the president's iPhone usage. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking of how many people have the president's ear. So many people have the president's attention in a very personal way. And choose to use that forum to bring out his worst instincts. Often, I believe, 
for their economic gain. I'm looking at you, Sean Hannity. And so mm-hmm. I think that there is a lot of responsibility here. I think that responsibility does fall heavier on the right than on the left. And I say that as a registered Republican. We have got to stop pretending that everybody needs to calm down. You cannot call a group of protesters who are peacefully protesting a mob and equate that to pipe bombs being placed in the mail. These are different things, and we should not pretend that they're the same. I, not surprisingly, am incredibly frustrated and angered by this reporting about his cell phone and the fact that they are telling him the Chinese and Russians are listening to your conversations and everybody's just crossing their fingers that he doesn't say anything classified. And even if he doesn't, they're learning, they're, they're creating a psychological outline of him. They are also creating a list of people who he talks to and who influences so that, I mean, if nothing else, those people on the other line of the phone, they're listening to you too. Don't you care? They're going to learn about you in your personal lives. They're going to start spying on you. They're going to try to get involved in your finances and your families. He's putting the people he talks to at risk as well. And just the total and complete abdication of responsibility for the fact that you are president is infuriating, considering that you built an entire campaign on Hillary Clinton's classified information and email server. I mean, it's just infuriating. And I feel like all these stories, the story about his cell phone, the Post did a really great story about how the bureaucracy reacts to his whims when he says things that are blatantly false, like the fact that there might be Middle Easterns in the caravan, or we're going to give a tax cut before the election when Congress is out of session, just completely false things. And then they all try to drum up support or make it sound like he's not lying or move the government in that direction. Or we ignore the the clear risk of classified information going out on the cell phone. These stories are in conflict with this whole narrative of, oh, well, that's just how he talks, but he's doing the right thing. No, no, no. No, no, no. Because what these stories show is that there's a clear intersection of those two things. His bombastic ego and the fact that he's president and things have to respond when he speaks. So stop telling me, oh, well, I know the Mitch McConnell line of, I wish he'd stop tweeting, but he's doing the right things. No, I'm done with that. I'm done with that. Because the decisions he makes and the things he says, because he is president, are not just words. They turn into action. And so the idea that we'll just blow off how he talks because his actions say something else. No, his actions and this New York Times story that he continues to use an iPhone that's, that is absolutely being spied on by China and Russia. Stop. Just stop with this crap that they're different things. What he says and what he does. They're not different. They're not different. You know, I get that. Republican legislators especially are fatigued with having to react to him constantly. I'm fatigued with it. I shared in our newsletter this week, I just can't watch these rallies this year. Oh, hell no. And I feel really derelict in my responsibilities, given what we do, that I'm not watching them. It just deeply discourages me. Not even him. I'm Honestly, I find his routine at these rallies boring now. It's so predictable. You know exactly what he's going to say. And, and he's sort of just trying to amp it up occasionally to make it less so. And, and that's even worse. 
But what really wounds me, honestly, trying to watch the rallies is the crowd reaction. The the crowd spontaneously bursting in to lock her up. The crowd enjoying him using nicknames about other adults. I just can't do it. And I get, I was watching the circus the other night, which I think is so well produced. And they captured a moment where Martha McSally had just um, given a speech and was talking to press afterward. And a member of the press asked her, the president was there with her. And a member of the press asked her about him calling Stormy Daniels horse face. And she was mad that she got the question. And a part of me has real compassion for that. The rest of me says, get out of here. You Like, you want to be a United States senator and you can't react to the president's comments? You can't summon the, the fortitude to strongly condemn this? How are you to negotiate anything with the president if you can't handle this kind of question? And she said it was wrong and he shouldn't have said it. But she was more angry at the reporter than the president. And that, to me, is the problem in the Republican Party right now. People are more angry at the reporters than the president. That is backwards. Before we share our more uplifting conversation today, we have one more story that we need to talk about. It happened in our home state of Kentucky. A 51-year-old man entered a Kroger in Jefferson Town, which is uh, just outside of Louisville. This man shot one man in the store, went into the parking lot, and shot a woman. Both of those individuals died. Their names have not been released by authorities as of the time of this recording. There is uh, a name being floated as who the man was, but out of respect for the police and the families, I don't want to say their names until it has been confirmed. The shooter engaged with another customer in the parking lot who had a gun. They fired at one another, didn't hit each other. Uh, Neither of them were injured in that gunfight, and the police now have him in custody. He is charged with two counts of murder and 10 counts of wanton endangerment. And unsurprisingly, the shooter has a long criminal history that is replete with incidents of domestic violence. I had a very scary couple moments because this is my beloved college roommate's Kroger. Um, Luckily, she was not injured, but it's just, you know, I think that it feels like the second we let gun violence sort of drift from our national conscience bubbles back up again and reminds us that it hasn't gone anywhere because we haven't done anything to change it. On a more positive note, let's talk to somebody who is trying to do something to change things. Next up, we're going to share our conversation with Erica McAdoo, who's a candidate for the North Carolina House. It was an incredible conversation. We can't wait to share it with you. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi-connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion. 
in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college, y'all. He's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. We are so excited to talk with you about your run for the North Carolina legislature. I want to tell you that first, I feel bonded to you, Erica, because I, too, have been a law firm administrator. And I believe (laughs) it's such a small universe of people. But I believe that if you can navigate the complex benefit issues that come with running a law firm, the complex IT issues that come with it, the complex financial issues and a gaggle of attorneys who are not known for being laid back about everything from like ink pens to staff support, (laughs) you can run the world. Is that your experience? Oh, that's so funny. It's so spot on. Um, Yeah. I mean, IT is not, has never really been my strong suit, but running the law firm, I am also now the IT guy. Um, and then dealing with, you know, working with employees and staff and the HR, we just set up 401ks for everybody recently. So getting that implemented, um, I do know the preferred pen of choice for everyone. 
Um, very important things to know. And then really, I mean, all the financial side of it, I mean, it's the strategic planning, it's the financial planning, the budgeting. And that's cool for me in the sense that I'll be able to take that and go straight into the legislature and use what I've learned being a law firm manager. That's right. And the other thing you learn is how to navigate a really flat population, right? Because lawyers are partners. I told people all the time it was like working in Congress because everybody has about the same amount of power. There are people who are more powerful for certain purposes. There are some titles and committees. But for the most part, you really got to negotiate and keep everybody happy. Yeah, I mean, you you really do. And that was one of the things that made me want to be a law firm manager in the first place was the people side of it Um, and, and figuring out the organizational culture and what works best for that that firm. And I that part fascinates me trying to figure out a way to really build on everyone's strengths, boost everyone's needs and then do what's best to all come together into a a cohesive team that can provide the best customer service possible. And that all those nuances just fascinate me. And I love that part of being a law firm manager. And I imagine it will be similar once I'm in office too, when you're trying to make those connections and, you know, bridge the gaps and work across the aisle. Just from an outsider's perspective, What makes it into the national news about the North Carolina legislature, it seems that some cultural change within that body is called for. So tell us about how you think about this job and what's really important to you as you consider what your first term might look like. I agree that there is some cultural change needed. I mean, we've got you guys, you know, anyone listening to this has probably seen it or heard it or read about it how we've just got these really intense partisan games going on and people passing budgets in the middle of the night with no discussion and input from either side. Gerrymandering is a big issue here that we've been dealing with for years and both parties have done it. And it's, it's time we put an end to it. Um, One of the, the things, I mean, a lot of us Democrats and maybe we're jumping the gun, but we're excited and we're feeling good and about this year. And so we've already started talking with some folks who are in there currently about what would be on the agenda for 2019. And so we're looking at Medicaid expansion as a top priority, and we're looking at setting up an independent redistricting commission as a top priority. One of the things um, for me, as far as getting in there, it's my understanding that the party in power ends up making the committee assignments and that I will probably get stuck with some of the less desirable committee appointments. Someone recently informed me that some of the committee appointments that folks don't always want are things like environment, finance, foster care, independency. And I was like, really? Because all of those sound fantastic. That's right up my alley. So if those are the uh, the bad ones, I'm good with it. <laughs> Tell us about foster care, because I noted that that was one of the main issues that you highlighted in your platform, which I thought was so refreshing to see. I would love to know more about your passion and what you'd like to see happen in the state system. Sure. So that was one of the reasons I actually decided to run for a legislative office. Years ago, my husband and I started, um, we went through the foster care training and did the MAP program and we're looking at fostering and or adopting. And uh, we had some respite kids come stay with us on a few weekends and worked with the Wright School in Durham. And a couple of things that I saw during that process, oh, and there was also a family that I met on the corner of Food Lion, a mom and her two girls, and the mom was struggling with addiction. And I got to know them over several months and was there the day social services came and took the girls from the mom. Mm-hmm. So all of those experiences showed me a couple different things. One, 
that there is an issue with real-time data sharing and thorough vetting of foster care placements. I know our social workers are doing everything they can, but they're understaffed and underfunded currently. Um, and then also there, there's some work that's happened with real-time data sharing, but we need to get that wrapped up and finished so that these kids aren't going into one abusive, abusive placement after another. Another thing I see happen almost almost every time, or maybe it's every time that the budget is done here in North Carolina, the right school is put on the chopping block and they hold it out there and say, I don't know, maybe we'll fund it, maybe we won't. And this is a school in Durham that provides a lot of services to kids who, a lot of them are foster kids. And they have to go there and they stay there during the week and then they go to respite care placements on the weekends. And I don't know, I don't understand that game. I don't understand why you would not fund that school. The school has to rally, spend time, money and resources to get petitions signed go down, lobby, try to get it funded. And I know firsthand that the kids in there need these services and what good that school does for the community. So, um, and then, and having seen the, the kids' profiles of the possible adoptive kid, adoptable kids or foster kids, and then that mom that I was helping and her two kids, they, they took the two kids and put them with the dad. And I, I had heard the stories directly from the kids of what the dad had done to them. They didn't need to go to the dad. And so I thought, you know what? This is just too much. We've got kids who could be happy, healthy, productive members of society who maybe have had a rough start. But if we could give them and their families the support they need, then they could move forward and, and you know, grab life by the horns and go with it. But we're not doing a good job currently. So I thought I can get in the legislature and I can work on this from a legislative level. And that was one of the big reasons for me to, to run for this office. We know you talked about Medicaid expansion being one of your the top priorities. Tell us what the conversation in North Carolina has been on health care and what you really believe needs to happen at the state level. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting, honestly. Um, there's so many people, hundreds of thousands that could be covered with Medicaid expansion. And I have talked to a lot of people. We started knocking on doors in March. And I've talked to a lot of people during that time that have said, I make $2 too much to get Medicaid or oh, man. But I can't afford a private plan. And that family's in a tough spot. It adds additional stress, additional worry. That's going to affect the home environment. And then when the kids or the parents need medical treatment and can't get it, or they have to go to the ER and spend four hours at the ER in the middle of the night addressing a problem that could have been solved by visiting a primary care doctor during the day, but they couldn't afford it, and the ER has to take everybody. So then they end up going to the ER in the middle of the night. Well, it's really tough to get up and go to school the next day or the next day when you're that exhausted. It's tough for parents to get the jobs. So it really is a snowball effect. Um, and I think that as far as I can tell, that is the best way to address a lot of the uninsured folks as quickly as possible and as affordably as possible. There's federal funding that's there. There's our tax dollars that have already gone into that. So not accepting it to me just seems cruel, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I just the cost of health care going up and up and up. And we're going to have to address that. And a lot of that will probably be a federal issue. But, you know, here right now, we can expand Medicaid and we can make a big difference for the people of North Carolina, including our veterans. I mean, there's around 23,000 veterans who would benefit from this, too. When you're out knocking on doors, talking to people about this, do you hear objections to what you're saying? No. And it's interesting. Um, my opponent voted against Medicaid expansion. And Um, Recently in a TV interview, he made a comment that was sort of uh, noncommittal as to whether or not maybe we should reconsider expanding Medicaid. We'll we'll see if he ends up going down that path. I don't think he will because it's not a it's a party issue. I mean, it really has been pretty divided by party lines. 
as far as ex- to expand or not expand. But I do wonder if maybe everyone is starting to go, wait a second. You know, there's those of us that are pushing for it and have been forever. And then there's others who are saying, no, 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 that are now seems like maybe they're starting to go, well, does seem like people want it. <laughs> seems like people might need it. Maybe we should reexamine this. And I hope that happens. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. It's a conversation we've been having here quite a bit about healthcare that at some point we're all going to have to just say, 
this might not have been the system I designed, but I'm going to commit to it and give it a chance to work. And I wonder if you sense that kind of spirit in North Carolina about healthcare or other issues. I know that you talk about education frequently. Are you seeing places where you feel like there is a real consensus among North Carolina voters? Definitely with healthcare. Also with the environment, I've been really encouraged, I guess, to see how tuned in people are with environmental issues nowadays. I think people are really starting to feel the effects of environmental issues. I mean, we're dealing with the Gen X and the Cape Fear and then coal ash spills and things like that. The recent hurricanes, of course, brought up the hog lagoon questions. But I think a lot of folks are on both sides of the aisle. It's becoming a very, very bipartisan issue. Here in Alamance County, there's talk of a, a pipeline coming in, MVP Southgate pipeline, that would bring natural gas through here. And they're talking about, you know, eminent domain and taking farmland and the farmers, it doesn't matter your political affiliation, your age, your race, anything. They're, they're coming out saying, no, not my land. I was going to put, you know, it's where my kid was going to build his house when he got older. And um, we're scared of what that's going to do to our land. So we are seeing people come together with that. I think that in North Carolina, we've been dealing for a long time now with extremes And Mm -hmm. there are a lot of us who aren't extreme. (laughs) And there are a lot of us who just want to sit down and have conversations and figure out how to do what's best for all the people. And I'll give you a really good example. I had a lady reach out to me on Facebook the other day and say, what is your stance on immigration and abortion? I said, whew, that's a loaded question. Um, And so I looked her up on voter search and she's Republican. Me being a Democrat, my first thought was this is not going to go well. But I thought, you know, that that's just a really bad place to go to. You know, that's just the place I've yeah. been conditioned to go to. So let me take a step back. Let me meet with her. Let's have coffee. So I asked her, I said, Let's, do you want to have coffee? And she was like, oh, my gosh, yeah, that'd be great. So she came and her husband came and we had we had the best conversation and it was open. It was honest. It was sincere. And it was not fighting. It was very nuanced, but it was us sharing stories about our own personal experiences with those issues. And we realized we had more in common than not. And afterwards, she and her husband went and voted. They voted for me and they put it on Facebook and Twitter that they were voting, that they voted for me and they supported me. So I think it's just a matter of bringing people to the table and having those nuanced conversations without the shouting and the yelling. And that's what you guys do. So that's yeah, right. I probably get it. <laughs> You're speaking our language right now, for I, sure. I know. I love that you took that pause and gave her an opportunity to be another person instead of just a registered Republican on your screen. I know Sarah has knocked on lots of doors and you're knocking on lots of doors. And I would love to hear your kind of best door knocking experiences. What's been really surprising to you about that process? What have you really enjoyed? Um, and maybe what's been a challenge. Sure. So the first door I knocked on was in March for as part of this campaign. And a lot of people here in Alamance feel very left out, left behind, forgotten. And we knew that a five minute conversation on a door one time wasn't going to be sufficient. So we started in March and we went back to those doors multiple times and we're still doing that. Um, we've gone in communities to various events. We've been doing church visits since March. But the first door I knocked on, I'm all excited. Yeah, we're knocking on doors. And the guy says, it doesn't matter. Nobody cares about me. Nobody cares about us. And by the end, he had come down to, well, I really appreciate you coming by. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'll give it a shot. 
that's that's the kind of thing we've been doing. And I'll tell you another story that was super fun. This week, I knocked on the door and it was a 20 year old kid who said, oh, well, I'm getting ready to go back to college right now. But, you know, I'm going to try to come home and vote on November 6th. Well, we all know that once you're back in college, it's pretty tough to come back home. And he's in Charlotte in college. So it's a several several hours to drive just to come home and vote. I think it's important. But the chances of him doing that, you know. So I said, well, actually, early voting's open right now. You can vote a mile down the street right now. And he said, are you serious? He said, all right, what's your name? What's your name? And he got my information. He got in the car and went to vote. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> what would you tell any woman considering public office after this experience, no matter the, the results on Election Day? Do it. Um, I am a better human being because of this, no matter the results on Election Day. And if it doesn't go the way I want on Election Day, I'll do it again. I truly believe that I was meant to do what I'm doing right now. And maybe I'm meant to do it because I'm meant to win and get in office and make changes. But maybe I was meant to do it for another reason. You know, I'm I'm trying to stay open to that. Maybe it opens the doors for other people or maybe it has just opened the doors for me in other ways. I don't know. Um, It's looking good for us. But I just it's been a life changing experience. And and I know a lot of women, myself included, say, oh, but family and my job and 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 we are amazing at multitasking. Women just are. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. And I didn't realize how strong and capable I was at multi. I thought I was a pretty good multitasker, but I have increased that now. Um, and I thought I was busy in life before, but I've been running a small farm with a family, a full-time job, and campaigning 30 to 40 hours a week for almost a year now. And it is doable. It's exhausting, but it's worth it. And when you knock on the doors of these people who tell you their stories and need help, and you know that you can find a way to help them, that makes you keep going. That is a beautiful answer to that oh, question. True. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. I love that. Well, we wish you the best of luck, Erica. I hope all those lawyers are working hard for you out there since you work hard for them every day. And we just can't wait to follow up with you after the election to see how it went and what your next steps are. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, guys. This is fun. Thank you so much to Erica McAdoo for taking time during an enormously busy season for her. Early voting is happening right now in North Carolina. We really appreciated that she stopped here to share her views with us. We will be back in your ears on Tuesday with another episode of Pantsuit Politics. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. And thanks for making us sound better and smarter, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our production assistant, which means we could not live without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you so much, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help make the show better. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, Cherry Haas, Sarah's husband, Nicholas Holland, and my husband, Chad Silvers. Learn more about our live events that we're involved in and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with us and members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.